Thanks for joining us today at the Christian Faith Center Sermon Podcast. At CFC, we live to worship God, we love to serve people, and we value community. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our pastors. Uh, if it's your first time, let someone know around you. I, I see a lot of familiar faces, so that's good. I love our family here. You guys are awesome. So, uh, And again, don't forget to invite people to church. You know, a lot of people come by just a simple invitation from someone that they care about. So don't be afraid to do that. I saw something that our, my generation, again, I think I talked about this last month, but my generation, they find it socially inappropriate to talk about church and inviting people to church. And that's kind of sad, isn't it? Because, I mean, how, how much have we grown spiritually? How much we, have we grown in our understanding of the Lord by just coming to church? And it blesses you. It blesses the people around you. And God is good. Amen? Awesome. That was the Holy Spirit. wasn't planning on talking about that. But uh, today's message is titled New Space. And uh, last month, I, I was continuing my series about the new things that God wants to do. And to be really honest, after last month when I was done preaching, I didn't know what I was going to be preaching about this Sunday. And so I, I, was, I was seeking the Lord, and I was asking him, I'm like, Lord, what, what is it? Is it a new series that you want me to do? Is it something else? Is it a continuation? And I really feel led by the Spirit to talk about this once more. And, and next Sunday, we'll finish this up, this series about the new things that God wants to do, because it's so vital to our relationship with him to experience the new things that he has for us. It is. It's not that, you know, we talked about Isaiah. We talked about how, you know, forget the former things. Behold, I'll do a new thing. We, we studied that. We talked about the new fruit, the, the new wine, all the things that the new that God wants to have. And this is the revelation I got this week was about the new space that we need to make for the Lord. You know, there's something called the Paoli Exclusion Principle. It's formulated by Australian physicist Wolfgang Pauli, and which essentially says this, two identical fermions or matter particles can occupy the same quantum state. Now, if you don't know what that means, congratulations, I'm in the same boat you were until I spent about 30 minutes digging and trying to get the more normal translation of it. Ready? Here it is. Two things can occupy the same space. Isn't the Nick translation a little bit better to palette, right? Instead of the fermions and matter particles and quantum, like what, is it, what, am, what am I reading about here? Because I knew, I knew that this, this law, right, this principle existed, that two things cannot occupy the same space. And so I found it, it was put from this man, and he discovered this in, in, the, in 1925. He had this, this principle, this, this law, right? And I knew it always existed. And, and it, what hit me is that this has been around, right? This law, this principle has been around since the beginning of mankind, right? It's not like God created it in, the, in 1925 when this Australian physicist discovered this or revealed it. This has always been around, this principle, this, this idea, this, this law that two things cannot occupy the same space. If I had someone up here right now next to me and they're pushing next to me, even if we were touching side by side, we're not occupying the same space. It's either they are here or I am here. And there's so much to this, right? This is why when we talk about the new space that we need to make in our lives, the new space that, that we there's profound application when we study how two separate things cannot occupy the same space. Profound. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to start this morning. This is now moments after the first set of the apostles in the upper room. Right after the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in like a, a rushing mighty wind, and they all start speaking 
in, in tongues that they don't even understand. And the people in the, in the room and outside the room, they're hearing them. They're like, wait a second, they're speaking the tongue of my homeland, but all of those people were not from the place that I'm from. What is happening? And then, then the logical answer to that is, well, they must be drunk, right? Because honestly, what a foolish response, right? They're speaking a perfect dialect of my home language tongue. Oh, yeah, they got to be drunk. Because we know when we've seen people that are drunk, right, they speak perfect English, right? <laughs> so let alone another language, another dialect that wasn't natural to the time, to the area. So we know it's a foolish response. And Peter's response before we get to the verse, verse 17 is he goes, we're not drunk. It's 9 a.m., Right? You know, people shouldn't be drunk at 9 a.m. That's a whole separate issue. We're not going to go there. But, but what Peter talks about in verse, 19, verse 17, rather, here in Acts chapter 2, is he's actually quoting a verse from Joel chapter 2, the Old Testament prophet Joel. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. It says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And every time I read this and I see that word pour out, I get the visual of a big pitcher filled with water, right? And it being poured into like a tiny glass. Like that deluge, right? That huge amount of water that's coming from the pitcher being poured into that glass. Now, why is he saying this? Well, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. See, what Joel was talking about in the Old Testament of, of the Holy Spirit being poured out into all flesh was never going to happen in the Old Testament. Right? They were filled with a sinful nature, a sinful spirit. And so what we read about in the Old Testament is the Holy Spirit coming upon someone or coming on someone, but then having to leave. Right? King Saul, for example. The Holy Spirit came on King Saul. In fact, twice we read about that, that the Holy Spirit came on King Saul, but then had to depart King Saul. Why? He didn't have a perfect vessel to hold. There was no way that he in his own self-righteousness could retain what God wanted to do. So the Holy Spirit came on and stayed for a little bit and then left. Samson, another great example in the Old Testament, right? Samson in the Old Testament, he had a covenant with God, right? The relationship, the promise, the deal between him and God was that if you don't cut your hair, my spirit will reside on top of you, right? And so what happens? Well, he breaks that covenant, he breaks that promise, and so the Holy the Spirit of God leaves him because he separated, he cut the deal. He, the terms of agreement were canceled on his end, not God's end. And then when one final request, he cries out to God as he's blinded, he's chained, and, the, and, and, and it, what happens? He goes, just one more time, Lord, the Holy Spirit, what? Comes upon him again, and he destroys all the Philistines, right? He, so we know these things, that the Holy Spirit comes and then has to go, because in the Old Testament, they were not spirit-filled like you and I are. See, right now it's different. In Romans 8, it says this, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who what? Dwells in you. See, now it's very different. Right now that spirit's been poured into you and I, and now that spirit resides in us. It's very, very different. See, where there wasn't even a place to hold the Holy Spirit, now he permanently resides. See, that word dwells or abides is now a permanent residency. It's not something that's temporary. It's something that stays, that, that's there for the long haul. It's like you build a house. You don't build a house to leave it in a year. You build a house to stay there for a long period of time, right? So now we have a house that the Holy Spirit can stay inside of us because there was a space that was not able to hold the Holy Spirit, 
But now we had a new space, and that new space can hold the Holy Spirit. Because why? He's been poured out into our lives. See, now you and I, we are houses of the living, connected, righteous, Holy Spirit of God. Thank God for that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit will speak to us this morning, Lord. It doesn't matter how young or how old we are, Father, that your Holy Spirit renews our mind continually and readjusts us and recalibrates us. So, Father, I pray that as we study this morning, the truth of your word is more real than anything else in our lives that we're experiencing. That the truth that is found in your word, Lord, will strengthen us, encourage us, embolden us to do the things that you've called us to do, Lord, to live a righteous and holy life, to honor you in every single action and decision that we do. And we thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And see, the first thing we're going to look at this morning is that we need to make space for the new that God wants to do. First thing we're going to look at this morning is that you and I, we need to make space for the new thing that God wants to do. Because remember, we talked about this, that, that two things cannot occupy the same space. That two things cannot physically occupy the same space. So if I want to open up for the new thing that God wants to do, there's got to be something that I have to get out of the way to make room for the thing that God wants to do. Because two things can't occupy the same space. Look at Joshua chapter 24, please. For example, fear and faith cannot occupy the same space. Fear and faith cannot occupy the same space. So it's either a choice, fear or faith. See, when we're willing to let go, God can move in what he wants. See, if we're willing to let go of certain things, if I'm willing to let go of my anger, what that does is it frees up space in my heart for God to say, okay, now my peace is going to settle in that area. So now instead of the, norm, the new norm of me being angry when someone cuts me off, I take a breath and realize the joy of the Lord is my strength, and I can forgive that wonderful driver in this wonderful state that we live in, right? And I can forgive them and bless them, right? Even though they cut me off and they cursed me, I'm going to bless them and love on that person I don't even know, right? But see, when I, when I say, Lord, I need your help in this area, he can show me what I need to remove and then what can replace it. Or maybe in, my, in your relationship with your spouse or somebody else in your life. You know, if there's anger, if there's animosity, that is going to be hard for peace and joy to reign in with that anger and animosity. Lord, take away this anger. Lord, I don't know what it is about my spouse that every time I see them, I just get upset. I get angry about it. You got to pray, Lord, help me remove that. And Lord, fill me in with your peace. Because two things can't occupy the same space. This is what Joshua was talking about here in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. Let's read it and then we'll talk about it. It says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can we say that last part starting at but as for me? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can we say that one more time, a little more Jersey? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Some of you like that a little too much. That's okay. That's all right. But isn't, I love that verse. Isn't that powerful? No, he's saying, listen, what was happening? They were struggling. Israel, again, at this moment, was struggling with who they were, who they were going to identify with, who they were going to worship, you know. And, and God's reminding them. He's saying, and later on, they realize this. But God's telling them, listen, you're, you're in cities right now you didn't even build. 
Israel. You're in a city right now, you're, you're occupying a city that you did not have any part in building. You're taking part in vineyards that you did not have any part in planting or cultivating. You're in this land, you're reaping the benefit of these crops that you did not plant. And they were very confused. They were stuck in between serving what, the gods that they, they were convenient, that was of the time, and the God that loved them. The God that cared for them, the God that brought them, that brought them out of Egypt and freed them and set them free and then brought them all these blessings and, and cared for them and gave them provision and guided them. They were, they were stuck in between two masters, right? And Jesus says it this way. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So, so we see this in Joshua. We see Jesus, right? giving way more clarity to the situation by saying it's really simple. You can't serve both. You can't serve two masters because you're going you're gonna to end up hating one and loving the other. Or you're going to be really loyal to one and despise the other. And when I, when I see this, last night we, we talked about the same, same topic, and, and I, what came to mind was newlyweds, right? Newlywed couples. It's very challenging if the husband doesn't care about the priority of his new wife more than he does about his mother, right? Because he's serving two masters. And if you might, yeah, you, yeah. That's, that can be really, really tricky, right? Because when a husband now has a new wife, that is the priority number one in his life. And so many times couples struggle because he, has, he tries to have two priorities. There's two women in his marriage. How many of you know what that's called? That's called adultery, right? When you have two ladies involved in one marriage, and it's also not very healthy. And what ends up happening? Now, this isn't like done with ill intent, right? The guys, the guys are just dumb, right? Guys, we're just stupid. Sometimes, sometimes. Amen, right? Come on, be honest here. Okay, I'll be honest then if you don't want to be honest with me. But Because guys, sometimes we, we make dumb decisions. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes we don't realize that, listen, I'm, I, I'm not giving the love that my wife needs because I'm her, her equal, right? I'm her spouse. Instead, I'm serving my, my mother because that's, that's, who, that's who raised me. And you, and, but what happens is then there's two masters, and, and you can't serve two masters. You can't serve two things, right? You, you can't. You either, you either love one and hate the other, and you cannot serve God and mammon. See, that word mammon really means money, but it can also mean possessions. So you could say it this way. You can't serve God and anything that you might possess, what is, which is what, your house, your car, your job, your finances, maybe your hobbies. You can't serve God and serve whatever that thing is at the same time because you're going to eventually end up loving one and hating the other. That's why you can't have, you can't have two relationships at one time because you're going to really love one and hate the other. You can't say, oh, I love them both. No, that's just crazy, right? You're going to love one and hate the other. And so Israel forgot where they came from. Israel forgot that, you know, they, that they, had a, they serve a God that brought them out of the things that, and listen to the response here in verse 16, Joshua 24, verse 16. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore, God will also serve the Lord. We will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. You know what's amazing in this verse? Joshua speaking boldly, saying, choose who you're going to serve. It kind of 
kick-started Israel a little bit and reminded them of what God did for them and how God made a way for them, how God drove out their enemies before them and they're occupying new space that God provided for them by kicking out the people that didn't belong and establishing them in that space there. That's powerful. And see, just like God wanted Israel to realize that he cleared a way for them, God wants you to realize this morning, he wants to clear a way for us too. He wants to clear away. He wants to clear away where there's something else that's currently occupying what God wants to fill in. Either it's a place He wants you to go or something He wants to instill in us. We got to make room for Him to let Him occupy. Make room for, and He's going to let Him clear out whatever needs to be cleared. He wants to clear out what's in the way. He wants us to make space for Him in our lives. And this brings us to our next point here opposites can't occupy. Opposites. Opposite things cannot occupy the same space. We know two things can't occupy the same space. It's even more clear that opposites can't even get anywhere close to each other. Look at Mark chapter 5 here. Mark chapter 5. We studied Mark chapter 5 last month. We're going to look at verse 21 this morning. Last time when we looked at this, we, we, taught, we studied the woman with the issue of blood. Right? About how we talked about in the New Wine message that you know, she came to Jesus with the fruit of faith and hope, and pressed through the crowds, and touched the hem of his garment, and then after she was pressed and touched him, right, the fruit that that woman received was healing, right? She was healed by this. But that story of the woman with the issue of blood was actually a disruption of another story that we're going to look at today, right? That was like the in-between, that, that was the event that stopped and halted another event that was already taking place. Look at verse 21. It says, now when Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lives at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. And then we read in verse 25, now a woman that had a flow of blood for 12 years. Now, there was a certain woman that came on the scene, and we know what happens, right? We know that she had faith. She pursued Jesus. She pressed through. She grabbed him. Jesus said, virtue left me. Who touched me? The disciples are like, Lord, everyone's touching you. What are you talking about, right? See, all the while, this was a disruption of what Jairus was asking Jesus for. Jesus, Jairus finds Jesus, right? He sees, he goes, Lord, my, my daughter's about to die. Can you please come with me? Can you please help me? He goes, yes, I'm going to follow you. So Jairus, I'm, I put yourself in Jairus' shoes. I, I put myself in it as I'm reading the story. I'm thinking, okay, great. I have this great need from Jesus. He fi I find him. I pour my heart out of him. He says, yes, let's go right away. So now I'm walking with Jesus, and then all of a sudden this woman touches him, and I'm watching this interaction take place, and I'm thinking, okay, this is really nice and all, Jairus doesn't look at his watch. He didn't have a watch back then, right? But I'm looking at my watch here. He looks at it and he goes, okay, this is really great and all, but my daughter's dying right now. And so there's this interaction, right? The woman touches him, virtue leaves. Jesus goes, who touched me? If I was Jairus, I'm like, who cares who touched you? We got to go. My daughter's about to die. I need your help, right? Can, can, you, can you put yourself there? Because that's how I see this. I'm thinking about this. And, and he sees this interaction and I would be worrying, right? If I was Jairus, I'd be like, every second matters, Right? Lord, this is urgent. Lord, I know you hear me. And, and, then, and then things seem to get worse before they get better. Let's jump down to verse 35. He says, while he was still speaking, right, they're talking. Some came in the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? 
See, Jairus had faith, right? He, he's talking to Jesus and says, listen, my daughter's almost dead, right? Some, trans, some gospels, they say she was dead when he went there. Listen, she was almost dead. He's talking to Jesus, right? He says, lay your hands on her. And so then he, he gets that little bit of faith, right? A little bit of boost and hope. He had faith. He went to Jesus with faith. Now he's got some hope. Okay, son of God's going to come. All right. And then he sees a messenger come running at him. Don't bother Jesus. She's dead. What would your emotions be in that situation? She's dead, don't bother him. Fear creeps in, devastation, destruction, heartache, heartbreak. You feel like you have no other reason to live. Why, why even bother? The situation's done, the story's over, period. End of book, turn the page. Well, this is the response that Jesus gives him. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he looked to him and said, don't be afraid, only believe. Immediately, as soon as he heard the words come out of the servant's mouth, he looks at Jairus and says, don't be afraid, only believe. Why? Because Jesus knew the emotions that Jairus was feeling, right? He knew the emotional roller coaster this man is on, having to find Jesus to say, I need you to come heal my daughter, then having this disruption of the woman with the issue of blood that delayed, and now the servant comes running and says, she's dead. Jesus says, don't be afraid, only believe. Immediately, he turns to him and says, don't be afraid, only believe. Because Jesus knew Jairus' heart. He knew that this was a man that has now been devastated at this word of the servant that came running towards him. And Jesus is telling him, listen, don't, don't be afraid, only believe. And the picture that I got when I read this was, you ever see the horses on the carriages in like New York City where they have like the blinders or like blinkers on their eyes? That they, they cover the left and right so the horse can only see in front of where they're going because that's the direction the person driving the horse wants him to go. Jesus was putting the blinders on Jairus. Don't look to your left. Don't look to your right. Don't worry about the woman of blood. Don't worry about the servant that just told me she's dead. Right? Stay focused. Look ahead. Put the blinders on. Don't be afraid. Only believe. And so what happens? And what happens in our lives? What happens in our situations? We've got to put our blinders on ourselves too. Right? Coronavirus, no plague will come my house. Amen. I'll, I'll say it again so you can give me a bigger amen on that one, right? No coronavirus is going to come in our house. Amen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No plague will come nigh my dwelling. Something trying to hurt you, no weapon formed against you will prosper. It might prosper with the person next to you. It's not going to prosper in you in Jesus' name. And no one in this house, no weapon formed against you and I will prosper in Jesus' name. Amen. Devil trying to bring up your past, bring up his future. Turn to Revelation 21. Don't do it now. When he tries to bring up your past, you turn to Revelation 21, you bring up his future. He's trying to bring up what happened in your past. Go, yeah, but I know how your story ends. You lose. Depression, trying to torment you. Remember, the Lord goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Amen? Deuteronomy 31. You got to share that with someone. Write that down. Tattoo it. No, don't tattoo it on your hand, okay? But... See, Jesus knew what kind of response Jairus was going to have. And when we read something like Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, he says, For we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weakness, because he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, we don't serve some kind of distant God that does not know what we're going through. We serve a God that cares. We serve a God that walked where you and I have walked, that has experienced what you and I have experienced. He did not just come out on the scene, a 30-year-old man, and minister for three years, and then go up to be with his father in heaven. He, from a, from a baby, grew and knew what his plan, mission, and purpose was and fulfilled it. He knows what we're going through. He knows what you're going through. And ready? 
He knows what you're going through better than you know what you're going through. He knows what I'm going through better than what I know I'm going through. Because he loves me, and at every point he was, he, was, he was tempted, as we are, but yet he didn't sin. Jesus gets it. And so it's not like we have this distant God that we're praying for that doesn't get it. Jesus gets it. He's the mediator for a reason. He's going to the Father on our behalf for a reason, because he understands what we're going through, because he cares for us, because he loves us. And getting back to the story here in Mark chapter 5, in verse 37. So after he hears this, right, he tells Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. And then he permits no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, okay? This is a good verse. You underline this, highlight, star it, and go, the importance of having the right people around you, okay? Because you need to have the right people around you. Some of you have a choice of who you can choose to be around you. Choose the right people to be around you. Jesus did it. Jesus chose the right people around him. You and I should be bold enough in love to choose the right people around us. Amen? Look at verse 38. So then when they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly, this is a tradition when someone died, everyone's there and they're crying and they're wailing and it's a big commotion. And he came in and said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. In Matthew's account of this same story, Jesus says to them, make room. Everyone say make room. Make room, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And what did they do to Jesus? They ridiculed him. They mocked him. Jesus is saying, what are you doing? She's sleeping. Make room. And they mocked him. Because there's always going to be someone that mocks us, right? There's always going to be people that mock you, hate on you, right? That want to get into an argument, right? A flame war on, online, right? You post something, they want to argue back. Don't feed into that, Okay. You don't have to defend yourself every single time you're on social media. It's okay. Because can I tell you what? If you're trying to please God, you're not always going to please people. Can I tell you who that's really hard for? Me, okay, as a people pleaser. Anyone else is like a people pleaser person? Great, just me. I'm in here by myself today. All right, that's wonderful. Great. No, but it's hard, right? When you're a people pleaser, it's hard when people like ridicule you because you want to make everything good. You don't want anyone to be upset at you, right? And that's not healthy. I'm saying that for myself, not just you. I'm saying it for me. It's not healthy when we try to make everyone happy because someone's going to be unhappy, and most of the time it's us. If it's not us, it might be God. It might be God. So what did he do? The next part of the verse says this. Jesus put them all outside. I always think, right, when growing up in children's church and reading the Bible, I always think of, like, you know, when we talk about Jesus, right, he's this really sweet, gentle, right, Bring the children to me, right? Here's the baskets. Just go bring the baskets. Everything's going to be fine. We're thinking like, Jesus never said anything rough or never offended anyone. He kicked people out of the house. You're all wailing and crying. She's not sleeping. They mocked him. He says, get out. Take all this. Get out. Take all your crying. Take all your baggage. Take all your emotion. Take all the stuff that doesn't belong in this house and get out, right? They mocked him. Sometimes you got to tell people just to stop talking to you. Didn't, didn't expect a thunderous amen from that one, right? But sometimes we've got to tell people, listen, I can't deal with you right now. I'm sorry, I can't right now. Or, you know, I can't, I can't, this is not healthy for me. I can't be around you because all you're doing is trying to make me like you, depressed, angry, and upset, and I can't, I can't do that. I think I have to leave or you've got to leave. We can't, this can't happen anymore. Jesus did it. Jesus said, you've got to go. And sometimes that's okay to say to someone, you, you need to go, right? 
not your spouse. You've got to love them, okay? And if you need help, marriage counseling, come talk to me. Don't say, you've got to go. No, no, that's not what we're doing here, okay? You came together, please leave together. Anyway, but he takes the mother of the child, and he does this. He takes the father and mother. He takes Jairus and his wife and those that were with him, and he entered where the child was laying. And he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose, for she was 12 years of age. Interesting connection between the miracle of the little girl and the woman with the issue of blood, right? They're both 12 years. Isn't that interesting? I found that very interesting. This woman with the issue of blood had this for 12 years, and this girl was 12 years old when she was healed of this ailment. That's something deep there for somebody. I don't know what that is, but listen, you can't receive the blessing of God in a room full of the wrong people. Thank you. Thank you for that. Right? You, you can't receive the blessings of God in a room full of the wrong people. You can't. Why? Why? How can you say that with such authority, Nick? Because that is exactly what Jesus did. This little girl was not going to get the blessing. She was not going to get this miracle if all of the mockers, all of the haters, all the ones that ridiculed her were still in the room. The miracle was not going to take place. There was, there was a few times in scriptures where we read, Jesus couldn't do anything because of their doubt, because of people's unbelief. So he knew what needed to happen for this miracle to take place. Some of us, we need to make room in our lives so that the miracle can take place. Some of us, we got to get rid of the wrong people so that we can get the right thing from God. we got to make room for the things of God. Get rid of the wrong people. Get rid of the wrong thinking. Get rid of the doubt. Get rid of the fear. Let go of the past hurt, the past pain. Make space for something greater that God wants to do in your life. Because opposites can't occupy. Don't be afraid. Only what? Belief. Fear can't occupy the belief. Some of us are so afraid, right, of the things that are going on in the world around us. Don't be afraid. Be informed, don't be afraid. Amen? Be, understand what's happening, but understand that you are not from this kingdom. You belong to another kingdom, and in that kingdom, you serve a good, good father that loves you and cares for you, that will make sure you are protected. Amen? Fear and faith can't occupy the same space. Fear and faith can't occupy the same space. So what do we do? Be of a single mind. That's the next big point. Be of a single mind. Because you can't think two different ways about situations. You can't think one way and the other way at the same time. It's going to be chaotic. It's going to be confusing for yourself, for the people around you. Turn to Proverbs 15 if you'd like, if you're following along or just looking up on the screen. Proverbs, you can't think, Proverbs 15, you can't think two different ways about situations, right? It's like, why do you need to recalibrate things? Why, why do you have to take your car to get your alignment done every couple of years. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about and getting your, your, your car aligned, please go tomorrow, make an appointment, and check your wheel alignment, okay, if you've never done that. Because what happens over a long period of time, the more you drive, your wheels just get slightly out of alignment, right? There's things called camber and pitch. Aren't you proud of me? Right back there, car guys that know what I'm talking about. Camber, there's camber and there's pitch and there's all these different things, right, that you have to adjust and they have to tweak because over time, right, the alignment gets a little bit out of whack, right? That's okay. But what's not okay is to continue driving in a car that has the alignment out of whack because it's dangerous. The tires wear down the wrong way. It gets dangerous. It gets bald on the one side and really thick treads on the other side. It can pop. They can explode. And so what happens? You got to get realigned. You got to recalibrate every now and again. I have a smart board in my school, and you have to recalibrate it occasionally, right? Because otherwise, if you're trying to draw a point over here, a dot shows up over here, right? Teachers, you know the struggle I'm talking about, right? Okay, here's the marker, and I'm writing four feet over where my pen is. Well, I had to do what? I had to recalibrate. 
There's nothing wrong with recalibrating every now and then. In fact, that's what, when we read about in Romans 12 too, about renewing our mind, we're recalibrating our mind. Because if I'm not diligent in recalibrating my thinking, it's going to want to revert back to the old way of thinking. The old anger that I tried, that, I, that I, I'm, I'm free of, will try to creep back in slowly but surely when I don't try to recalibrate, when I don't realign my thinking. So here in Proverbs 15, we're going to look at verse 1. This, this chapter in Proverbs has a lot of these things. It talks about two opposite points and addresses the, the, the consequence of both points. Look in verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Pastor Nick, I don't know why every time I talk to someone, they're always angry back at me. Are your words soft or are they harsh? And I say that with a smile on my face, right? Are they harsh or are they soft? Are you responding to them the way that they spoke to you? If they're getting all loud and angry, are you getting louder and angrier? Because can I tell you what? It's going to just stir up the pot even more. It's going to just breed more anger. But a soft answer turns away wrath. I'll speak from personal experience here. Uh, I love my wife. She is the greatest woman on the face of the earth. If you want to debate me, you'll lose, okay? Um, but there are times when she might not have all of the correct information that she is sharing with me and that she thinks she's right and she's not. Now, here's what my response is, okay? One, I, listen, I'm not talking bad about my wife. I already spoke to her last night that I'm using this as part of my sermon. Don't go think, oh, Pastor Nick talks bad about his wife. No, no, no. We've talked about this, okay? Calm down, all right? But there are times that her and I will be having a, a friendly discussion that maybe we disagree about what we're talking about. Has anyone ever been there in a marriage situation where you might disagree with your spouse? I know it happens like rarely, right? Where you might disagree about certain things, right? That was heavy sarcasm for those not understanding. I, okay. But so what happens is sometimes, you know, you get to that point and you listen, you know you're right, right? You ever been there? We're like, listen, you know, you know you're right. But what's the, what's the godly response? A soft answer. Okay, hon. Nick, that's it? I want more. No, sometimes that's all you got to say. Okay. If it's not life or death, okay. And you go your merry way. Now, listen, I know some of you hate that response. You hate that because you're like, no, 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 no. I got all the ammunition behind me. I got everything lined up to win this argument. I got the passion. I got the evidence. I'm going to win this thing. No, just say okay. And move on, because it's better to have peace in your house than to win every argument, right? In the words of my father. Um, <laughs> verse 2 says, the tongue of the wise use knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours out forth foolishness. Look at verse 4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Do we see how there's two sides to these verses? There's the one side and then the other side, right? There's a wholesome tongue and a perverse tongue. There's a wholesome tongue that is a tree of life that brings forth good things. And there is perverseness that causes a break in the spirit. You're like, Nick, I feel like that's me right now. I feel like my spirit's broken. What's coming out of your mouth? Is it something wholesome? Because that's going to be a tree of life. Is it something perverse? Because it's going to break your spirit. Look at verse 5. Fools despise their father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. That word prudent means it's someone who cares for the future. See, when, when we're okay getting correction, what that does is it sets us up for a successful future. A fool despises his father's instructions, but he who receives correction is prudent. There are times in my life where I, my father would tell me to do things, and I'd be like, why? 
And his response, which I love giving to my son, is because I said so, right? Parents, don't you love that response? That doesn't make any sense. Well, it does because I'm 20 years older than you, and, or 25 years older than you, and you're four, and I'm in my 30s, and that's how it is, right? And, and sometimes, you know, you don't know why at that moment. Why, why did they tell me to do this? And then as an adult now, sort of, as an adult now, I understand why my father did the things that he did, and why he told me to do the things that he told me to do, and why he told me to not do the things he told me not to do, because he was trying to help me be a godly man. See, as a child, you don't realize that, and sometimes as parents, you've got to just keep, keep loving, keep loving, and keep loving, and they'll get it at some point. Look at verse 6. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but in the revenue of the wicked, there is trouble. See, some of us that are struggling financially, we've got we to pray about that verse a little bit. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but in the revenue of the wicked, there is trouble. Because sometimes we've got to let go of the things that don't really matter too, too much, Oh, but Nick, I mean, I have to cancel Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Apple Music, Spotify Plus, HBO Go, Disney. I got to cancel all that. Hey, listen, you might have to cut away with some of those things. You don't need 4,000 TV channels because most of it's garbage anyway. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Right. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, uh, but anyway, some, some of you, if you're struggling financially, pray about that verse because sometimes the Holy Spirit, many times the Holy, all the time, the Holy Spirit will show you the right thing to do. He'll show you what's the best response. The challenging part is then doing it, right? That's not always easy, but that's always what's the most important part of it. The Holy Spirit will show you, do this, cut back here, you don't need this, do that, and then the response on our end is so important to say, okay, Father, help me, because I can't do this on my own, and that's why we rely and trust on the Holy Spirit. That's why we have faith, okay? Verse 7, the lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of a fool does not do so. Verse 13, a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. See, some of us are so hurt, we, we don't even know what to do to get rid of the hurt and the pain. We've got to pray that God reveals that we need to, what we need to do to let go and to move on, make room for that cheerful heart. Say, Father, this sorrow has to go. I know a, a byproduct of the fruit of your spirit is love, joy, and peace. Father, I pray that you take this thing from me. I pray that you take this pain, take this hurt from me, and fill me with your love. Fill me with your joy. Fill me with your peace. But it's not going to come by accident. You've got to speak to the situation. So cry out to God. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I don't understand what it is. Father, help me. And the great thing is he will show you. He'll show it to you. Verse 14, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feed on foolishness. And all the days of the afflicted, this is verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. See, the whole point is that you look at chapter 15, Proverbs 15, and you're, you're looking at all these verses, we see that there's like two sides to every verse, right? There's the side that we should do and the side that we shouldn't do. The side that we should do, the side that we shouldn't do like being double-minded. That's what James talks about here in James chapter 1. You can look on the screen, right? This is, this is what it means to be double-minded. You do two different things, and he says, verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. The New Living Translation says this, their loyalty is divided. Wow. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they're unstable in everything that they do. 
Listen, you, you, can't, you can't be a double-minded person. You can't think about a situation one way and think about it another way. You can't have fear about a situation and you can't have faith about the same situation. You can't say, yes, I got peace and then be angry about the same situation. You can't do both. That's what it means to be double-minded. Instead, you gotta pray, Lord, help me to be stable and be of a single mind. Father, help me to be stable and have the blinkers on the sides, the blinders on the sides of my eyes so I'm only focused on where you're going. Father, help me to be focused on your word so that when someone comes and disrupts the miracle that I need from you, I'm not gonna have doubt, I'm not gonna have unbelief, I'm gonna have faith and receive the miracle that I have from you. Help me to not be double-minded because that's not what God wants for any of us. He does not want us to be double-minded. He doesn't want us to be unstable in everything. He wants us to be stable. He wants us to be of a single mind. Because some of us, you know what we have to do is we have to do this. We have to take possession of God's promises. See, sometimes we read about them and we're like, yeah, that's nice. Some of us, we, and you, when those of you had that miracle, right, you've had that revelation of something from God, how did that come into play? Because you saw a promise and you went after that promise and you grabbed hold of that promise and you spoke that promise time and time again. See, when we take possession of God's promises, big things will happen. Let's look at Numbers chapter 13. We're going we're to look at Caleb and Joshua's account of when they go and they come back from spying the promised land. Powerful. What do we do? How do we make new space? We make space for the new that God wants to do. We realize that opposites can't occupy the same space. We have to be of a single mind, and we have to possess what he's given to us. Numbers 13. It's amazing how, right, Moses sends out the ten spies. Eight of them come back with a bad report. They even refer to the land that Moses sent them to. See, their, their mindset was completely wrong, right? They were like, Moses, the land you sent us to. And Joshua and Caleb were like, no, this is the land that God sent us to. Very different. And their response was dictated based upon who they felt the land belonged to. I'll say that again. Their response was dictated based on who they felt the land belonged to. The eight spies, we don't even read about their names because they're not important. Those eight spies that said, well, that land belongs to them, the, the place that you sent us, Moses, is different than Joshua and Caleb's response of, well, that land there belongs to us because it's where God told us to go, right? When you view the things around you, if they're from God as a promise from God for you and not like something else that's for somebody else, if it's for you, you go after it, you take possession of it because that's exactly what they did. They were, the, the eight spies that had the negative report were focused about how it's well fortified. Oh, they're huge. We're, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And Joshua and Caleb are, no, they have a very different response. Look at verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. What does Caleb do? Tells them all to shut up, right? Good old, good old Jersey talk, right? I love this state. Isn't it the best state in the world? I failed geography. But Caleb goes, shut up. You eight. Stop talking. Everyone that you got riled up, you all need to stop talking. Here's what the deal's going to be. We're going to go up at once. We are able to do it. We, are, we should do it. We are able to overcome it. They, they, weren't re they weren't waiting. They weren't deciding. They knew, number one, that that land belonged to them. Joshua and Caleb knew that land is ours. Why? Most, a man didn't send us there. God sent us there. If God's sending us there, right now, he, he told us to go possess it, we're going to go possess the land. 
Let us go up at once, for we are well able. Say, I am well able to overcome it. Whatever it is, you go home, you, you, you look at yourself in the mirror, you pray in the spirit, and you go, I am well able to overcome it. Whatever it is that you need to overcome, I am well able to overcome that. That fear, depression, pain, anxiety, whatever, I am well able, I am equipped to overcome whatever it is. And what happened? Who, who inherited the land? Joshua did. Did the eight spies? Nope. Joshua did. Why? Because he knew where he knew that that land they referred to their their land, the eight spies, their land. Whose land? The giant's land. And Joshua and Caleb are like, no, that's our land. <laughs> their land is not going to be our land because we serve a living God. Amen. Some of us need to tell people to shut up and get out, but do it in love. Don't do it like that way, right? Jesus told people to get out. Caleb tells people to shut up. Don't don't go to people that are bothering you at your job and go. My pastor told me to tell you to shut up and get out. Please don't do that. Okay. Because I'm going to get a lot of nasty emails and phone calls, okay? You, you can speak the truth in love, but really, there are times when you tell people, please stop talking to me, right? I, I can't hear this right now, okay? Or I, I, need, I, need to be, I need to remove myself from the situation. Two good phrases for you, right? Write those down. It's going to change your life. I can't talk about this right now, and I, I need to go someplace. I, I need to get out of here. There's nothing wrong with doing that. And again, coming from a people pleaser, that's very hard for me to say, right? There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm sorry, I can't deal with this right now, I need, to, I need to separate myself from this situation because it's not healthy. Or you know what? I need to remove myself. Or I need to ask you to leave because this is not healthy. Because what are you doing? When you, don't, when you don't do that, you're filling yourself up with that junk, right? What's occupying your heart? That stuff versus the things that God wants you to have. So you can look at your situation and see your giants or look at your situation and see the promise. You can look at your situation and see the giants that are in a land or look at the situation and see the promise that God has for you. That God's saying, no, that land belongs to you. Go take up your sword, go take up your shield, go fight for it, and go possess what I'm giving you. Some of us, we got to fight. We, 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 we get so scared, we get so timid, we, get, we, we give up too easily. And God's like, no, 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 just keep fighting. Just keep fighting. I'm with you. I'm with you. Keep fighting. Keep going. Keep going. Instead of looking at the giants, look at the promise. Because that's what God wants for all of us. He wants us to see the promise in every situation. Joshua was ready to take the place that God promised to him. He saw that place. He saw something that didn't belong. Those giants were in his house. He knew, I got to get rid of them. This is what it says in 1 John chapter 5. This is amplified. Little children, believers, dear ones, guard yourselves from idols, from false teachings, from moral compromises, and anything that would take God's place in your heart. Believers, that's what that means, little children, believers, dear ones. Guard yourself from idols, false teaching, moral compromise, and anything that would take God's place in your heart. See, there are so many times that there are people that are hurting because they fill things in their heart that can only be filled by the love of God. And so what happens? They never feel satisfied. They never feel like anything's working out for them because why? There's a God-shaped hole that they're filling with drugs. They're filling with alcohol. They're filling with sex. They're filling with lust. They're filling with their job, filling it with money, filling it with relationships, right? They're filling it with so many other things that are never going to satisfy what? The only thing that God can satisfy. We all have that place in our hearts for God, right? And what's, what's surrounding, what's occupying that space? We got to get rid of it. We got to remove it. And sometimes it's just a misunderstanding of, of the nature of God. Have you ever seen this online before? you ever seen this picture online before? Okay. The first time I saw this picture, it's a picture of Jesus, right, holding a teddy bear behind him. And he says, just trust me. 
And the little girl is looking at him holding a smaller teddy bear, but says, but I love it, God. And the first time I saw this, I'm like, oh, that's really cute. I get it. Jesus has something for us. And the more I look at the picture, the more I'm like, mm, this is kind of annoying me. Why, Nick? It's a nice thing. It's on, it's on Facebook. It's on Instagram. It's cute. Yeah, listen, okay. Here's the problem with this, though. Jesus is not hiding the good things that he has for us. Amen? You got, you got to be sure about that thing moving forward here. Jesus is not hiding the good things that he has for us. It's not like he's there saying, oh, just trust me, and then you'll find out what the good thing I have for you is. Listen, there are times that we have to trust God, and we don't know what's going to happen, but when it comes to the goodness of God, listen, he's left me 66 books. He's left me a book that's been written by, 30, by over 30 men, inspired by the Holy Spirit over a period of, of 1,500 years, that shows me that he loves me. That doesn't show me a God like this. It shows me a God like this. Yes, I photoshopped that. Be impressed at my Photoshop skills, all right? Because many times, right, the pictures change. Now Jesus is holding the bear in front of him. The girl has her back to Jesus with the small bear in front of her saying, but, but God, I love it. So many times, right, Jesus is trying to give us these promises, and we're looking in the wrong direction. We're like, yeah, but I got to hold on to this thing here, Lord. And he's like, no, just turn around. I got what you need right here. But Lord, I can't take that big thing. I gotta, that means I got to let go of this thing. Yeah, you got to let go of that thing to grab hold of what Jesus has for you. But he's not holding it behind his back going, you got to give it up first. Oh, you want to you you get rid of that past pain and rejection? Well, just try to forgive him and then understand what my love is about. That doesn't make any sense. He's saying, listen, I love you more than anyone else on this planet can ever love you. And because I love you and because I've forgiven you, you can then forgive all those people. You drop that small teddy bear and grab the big one in a heartbeat, right? But see, two things can occupy the same space. See, that little girl in the picture, right? That's us. That's, that's me. I can't, I can't grab the big thing that God wants for me if I'm too busy holding on to something small that is insignificant in the kingdom of God. You've got to make space. You've got to make new space. And that's what God wants for all of us. You can close your Bibles this morning. You can close your Bibles as we're wrapping up here. Got to make space. Got to make space for the things of God. doesn't matter how young or how old you are. You have to make space for the things that God wants for you. Realize opposites can't occupy the same space. You can't have fear and faith at the same time. You got to be of a single mind. Listen, if you're trusting in God's promises, trust in all of God's promises. Don't just cherry pick the things that are convenient, that, that, don't, that don't disrupt your own personal thinking. No, no, just go all in to the things that God has for you and possess what he's given to you, right? Joshua and Caleb were ready to possess what God was giving to them. They were ready to do it. Two things can occupy the same space. There's a, a French philosopher named Voltaire, right, who was an atheist who hated Christians. And the story goes that he had such a disdain for Christians that he, he wrote about this, and it, it's true, he did. He wrote many things about how Christianity was foolish and those that believed in God were, were morons and stupid, right? How many of you know already the guy's a moron himself, right? Okay, great. Um, so what happened, the story goes as this, and this is, uh, it's that he is this French philosopher, and he says, you know, in 100 years from now, 1776, in 100 years from now, there will not be any more Bibles in all of the world except one or two in, like, museums for, like, people to just study and look at, right? That's what he says, because he thinks about the futility of Christianity. So he's, he's in his house, he's writing this thing down, right? And so then what happens? Well, then 50 years later, he dies. And then uh, they end up using his house as storage. You know what they used his house for storage of? Bibles. 
Bibles and tracts. So this man who occupied this space that had this thinking that was wrong, the Bible's going to be gone in 100 years, he passes away. Now that space gets occupied with the Word of God. And because that space got occupied by the Word of God, lives were changed. See, God wants you to realize that there are contrary things cannot occupy the same space. You can't have fear. You can't have fear and faith. You can't have depression and joy. You can't, anger and peace can't occupy the same space. Death and life can't occupy the same space. So you've got to ask yourself two questions before we pray. One, what needs to go? And two, what needs to replace it? What needs to go and what needs to replace it? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for the good things that you have in store for us, Lord. And Father, I pray that if we were challenged by this message this morning, that we are okay recalibrating and realigning what you have for us, Lord. And Father, I pray that moving forward, we trust you more in everything, that we have boldness in the things of you, Father, that we make space for the things that you want in our lives, and we push out and clear out things that don't belong. I thank you, Father, that you are doing a new thing in all of our lives, starting today. In Jesus' name, amen. I was about 13 or 14 years old, sitting in that balcony up there, <clears throat> having said the sinner's prayer hundreds of times, until I realized that I personally needed to have a relationship with Jesus, that my father's relationship with Christ had no impact on my relationship with Christ, that my father accepting that forgiveness had no impact and implication on my accepting his forgiveness. So I purposed in my heart, I believed in him, I believed that what Jesus did for me on that cross was for me. I believed that I was a sinner that needed saving and that only Jesus provided that salvation. See, I believed all of those things, and because I believed and I professed in my heart and my mouth, I knew I was born again. <clears throat> so that's why we always, always, always extend an invitation before we close service for anyone that has not yet fully committed their lives to Jesus to do so now. And if you're ready for the best new thing that can ever happen in your life, which is having a relationship with Jesus, then just say this prayer with us. Everyone say, Jesus. Say, be my Lord. Be my Savior. Say, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you are alive from the dead. Lord, live in me. Lord, work in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. If you like the content and want to get the word out about our podcast, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe wherever you listen. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit us at our website, christianfaith.center. God bless.